0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Lends Me Your Ears, the film podcast that looks at current films in the theaters and links them tangentially to films from the past that you may not have heard about. My name is Stephen Cook. I'm an arts reporter for Local Express. And I'm Karsten Knox. I am a film blogger
1: and all-around film nerd, and my blog is called Flaw on the Iris. You can find it at HalifaxBloggers.ca. Today we're talking about the occult and witchcraft and thaumaturgy and all things related. Thaumaturgy.
0: Thaumaturgy. Uh, Yeah, that's a 50-cent word today. (laughs) Uh,
1: All related to Doctor Strange and Fantastic Beasts and where to find
0: them. So it seems there's been a bit of witchcraft at the box office lately, both uh, costumed and in civilian clothes in the form of Doctor Strange and uh, a new entry from the Harry Potter universe, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, uh, two films that are are both a lot of fun and uh, which is uh, sorely needed this time of year. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, the fun is
1: definitely needed. I, uh, yeah, I went to see both these movies. I am a fan of the Marvel universe. I'm also a fan of Harry Potter, but not in like a dyed-in-the-wool sort of way. I suspect that that in order to be that you, you need to be a little younger than maybe we are uh, but you know that's not to say that their fans you know it's an enormously popular series of books and of course uh, successful series of films uh, and then the Marvel universe as well they've done such a great job with a lot of their movies that you, I don't think you necessarily need to be a superhero fan or a fan of the comics to enjoy all the Marvel movies uh, now Doctor Strange we'll start there Yeah, Doctor Strange is a character who's been around since I think the late 60s kind of born out of the counterculture movement
0: yes there's definitely a psychedelic tinge about his earliest adventures for sure for sure Uh,
1: and he is more or less for those who don't know the um the master of mystic arts he is the uh, marvel universe's resident wizard the top wizard and uh yeah and his, his story is one that seems a little familiar to maybe those of us who have watched iron man or or watched um uh, Batman Begins. They, there's elements of the plots of those movies that have been borrowed uh, in whole cloth here. Yes. Uh, Stephen Strange, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, excellent casting here, by the way. Um, he is a cocky New York neurosurgeon still carrying a, a, a flame for his ex, played by Rachel McAdams, who barely manifests in the film. <laughs> uh, one night he's driving his Lamborghini and he totals it and in The Wreck, he wrecks his hands, uh, so he can't perform his incredible feats of medicine. Uh, so he, he you know, basically cues a, his, a heroic journey of self-discovery and redemption and transformation. Uh, he goes to Kathmandu and he meets the Ancient One, played by Tilda Swinton, who teaches him about magic, and he discovers he has a real gift. Um, also in the film, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Benedict Wong, uh, Mads Mikkelsen. This is a film with a really amazing art house uh, cast like these are terrific actors and I think the thing I liked the most about it was in the casting I felt like I think I liked this film less than some people did. I, I put it firmly in the middle of the pack for Marvel movies. I feel like the, the it starts well and it ends well, but the middle section, a lot of action, a lot of like running around, and I, I found it kind of dull. Uh, and I know a lot of people who are into Marvel like I am uh, liked it more than I did. What What did you
0: feel about it, Stephen? Well, I'm not a super Marvel head, but I've enjoyed most of the Marvel films. I mean, I, I grew up a DC Comics guy, and of course... Uh, have been sorely disappointed by the DC entries of late. I'm really looking forward to Wonder Woman, hoping that they can per- turn it around, pull one out of the flames yeah. because, uh, th- yeah, it's it has not been good for a very long time. Um and uh, you know, so I I don't have any. There's no weird Schadenfreude about the Mar- Marvel films being better than the DC films. I just, uh, you know, I I read some of these comics. Uh, I actually was a big Daredevil fan. I'm really enjoying the series on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, me but, too. But uh, you know, so I I don't come to these with any glowing reverence or anything like that. And I've I've really quite enjoyed them. Um, I'm finding there is a bit of a sameness that's settling into them. Um, as, as they go on, you know, the, the Avengers films are starting to look a little kind of samey as, yeah, as we like get further in. Captain America is sort of overlapping there as well. Yeah. So, cases. you know, I'm looking forward to more stuff like, you know, certainly Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange uh, and, uh, you know, the, the Black Panther movie when we eventually get that. So there, there's stuff. I'm still looking forward to more entries. Sure. Um, I'm hoping things kind of shake it up a bit. You know, I'm, I'm kind of sad that Joss Whedon is kind of done with with the Marvel Universe for any number of reasons um, but I'm, I'm hoping some other similar talents step up to the plate to to make it interesting and funny and in jokey and, and and all the things that they've been pretty good at uh, at doing so far um, Dr. Strange is a character that uh I had a certain fondness for as a kid, I didn't follow his comics faithfully, but I would, you know, sometimes pick them up out of the pile or grab them at a, we used to go to the library for these comic book swap meets where you take the ones you'd finished reading and trade them in for, for new ones. Uh, and then sometimes I grab some of those out of the pile and so on. So, um, you know, so it was kind of a, a psychedelic flashback <laughs> for me, is, uh, of sorts. And and I thought it did justice to the character and and to the title as much as you could expect from a Hollywood film. If you go back and look at like the, I think there was a TV movie um, that was done back in the late '70s, or early '80s that is just abysmal. Uh, I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you know there was a Captain America one around the same time, uh, just just equally as as bad oh, with a really bad red skull mask that I (laughs) have these dim memories of. Um, So, so here it it seems to really want to pay homage to the Steve Ditko uh, artwork, you know, when, when when we go into other dimensions and it has that kind of crazy cosmic uh, look about it. I like that part of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely the highlight for me as well, especially seeing it in IMAX 3D. Um, I'm not a huge huge fan of that format, but I thought it was well used here. Um, and that whole mystic, you know, when you get to Silver Surfer and that kind of thing, that whole mystic side of Marvel, I really enjoy, uh, you know, especially the, you know, when you get into the Jack Kirby end of things as well. So I, I thought it kind of paid off in that era, you know, in that uh, sense, uh, the whole sort of Inception-inspired uh Unraveling and and inward folding New York City stuff I really liked. I enjoyed it too, though I I felt it was a little maybe too indebted to Inception. And, yeah, and also you know, yeah, a lot like, of people
1: have said that like the Matrix and and some uh, a number of James Bond opening credit sequences uh, <laughs> as well. Uh, but you know uh, there it you know and 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 there's some magical action stuff in the middle, like I was saying that I felt left me a bit cold. But by the end, when we're getting the finale in Hong Kong and this genuine ultimate evil is is kind of crossing over, there is this sequence where time goes backwards. And, yeah, it was and, really well done. And our heroes have to fight the villains while this is taking place. And that's not something I can remember ever seeing before. So mm. that was where I felt, okay, this is really impressive. Like that's where I felt the effects really justified their, their uh, uh, you know, uh, dazzling uh, uh, qualities, but uh, and I really also like the, um, uh, the there's a little moments of fun, like the the cloak of levitation, uh, it, which gave the picture a welcome touch of Mary Poppins.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot more humor in this film than I expected there would be, uh, and because Benedict Cumberbatch is not a, a an actor, I think of with related with, related to comedy, um, and I thought he pulled off a fairly good deadpan act. you know because obviously his character is very arrogant which he of course he has to kind of uh, work on that over the course of the film, um, but also get some good lines as does some of the other characters. And yeah, you mentioned Rachel McAdams. I, I'm I'm on the record as stating that she's far from one of my favorite actresses. Current working currently working right now, and uh, you know she, her presence didn't uh, a didn't really make a big dent in the storyline and no. didn't really have a negative effect on the film as she has in in other films. And and actually, I didn't. I, there's a couple of things more recently that I haven't minded her so much in. So I'm hoping that that is a trend because obviously we're. You know, we're still going to see a lot of her. I yeah, think yeah, to I thought she was great in Spotlight, for instance. Yeah. Um
1: But uh, but yeah, I felt like if the one thing the film bobbled was this whole arc of his redemption. I felt like he goes to yeah, Kathmandu. Yeah, he goes to Kathmandu. He has experience where he's left on the side of a mountain, which forces him to use the his nascent abilities, and uh, and then all of a sudden he seems to be evolved. And I <laughs> I really felt that there it was missing that moment where he. You know where he turned from jerk to to self aware. Uh, it, it all of a sudden he just was, and then everything was kind of okay. He was still kind of a little bit caustic. He still had a little bit of a sly yeah. sense of humor. But yeah, I, I didn't I didn't quite believe that that transformation of the character.
0: Yeah, it's not Tony Starkian, and it's uh, in it's no, handling no, at all. I think they wanted it to be Tony Starkian, oh, for but sure. they didn't
1: do it quite as well as the first Iron Man.
0: Um, and uh, that whole going to Kathmandu thing. I mean that that goes back to. I mean, you mentioned the fact that it, in the in the Nolan Batman films that's a, a key component uh, that that in turn was taken from uh, I don't know if it's the Frank Miller comics I think maybe that for Batman year one maybe the Miller Mazzuchelli run but um, it goes back even further than that oh. I mean it, the, if you want to get really pulpy uh, The Shadow and Doc Savage totally. uh, in the 1930s and 40s both go through that kind of you know. The cliche of e- Eastern enli- Enlightenment. Exactly. Eastern yeah. mysticism. Yes. Uh, you yes. know, c- c- rears its head uh, in popular culture, uh, maybe tied into the whole uh, discovery of King Tut's tomb kind of thing. It was it was all the rage in the 1930s. Um, and uh, you know it found its way into popular culture in the in the, the form of those characters' early training, and and I guess we'll be seeing a Doc Savage film at some point. It's uh, inevitably, been talked about. Um, yeah. No relation to Doc uh, Strange, but <laughs> I'm 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 hoping it's done well. I don't know if it'll be a period film or not, but but um, overall, I thought Doc Sa- Doctor uh, Strange rather was uh, about as good as I could have hoped for. Uh, yeah, yeah. From, you know because. Uh, They've been kind of holding off on the more mystical, magical parts of the Marvel Universe until now, I, for whatever reason. You know, I don't know if they're afraid of blowback from the fundamentalist <laughs> crowd or what, you know, or or what. You know, the, the mutants are fine, but mi- magic, oh, <laughs> we gotta stay away from that. Yeah. When, when it's a pretty fine line between one and the other, but yes. uh, at least they went for the full-on head trip in, in, in Doctor Strange and... uh you know, I'll, I'll look forward to see what they do with the characters. They integrate him further into the universe. Yeah, me too. I think,
1: I think that's the thing about uh, that this kind of character. And certainly Cumberbatch is he'll be great fun when he's interacting with all those other characters. I, th- I think that's – they've done well setting him up for the inevitable crossover. Um, so
0: shall we move on to Fantastic Beasts and yeah, where to find them? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's talk about this one um, because uh, I've, I'm, I was a little more troubled <laughs> by ah, this one than see, Doctor I, I think we had the reverse experience. I think so. I-
1: experience. Because I went to Fantastic Beasts not having a lot of expectations. I mean, I enjoyed the last couple of Harry Potter films, but I felt like there was some rot in the middle there, too. Oh, for sure. And yeah. and uh, I felt the repetition was a little tiring. So so coming into a, a brand new uh, period piece, which is a prequel, I mean, we know that there is a history of bad prequels to fantasy materials out there. So I, I wasn't very hopeful. But this uh, surprised me in being quite charming and uh, and that it's it's a mostly self-contained picture in some way. It's really a brand new jumping off point for audiences, whether you know about the sorting hat or not. It's uh, The general story is Eddie Redmayne plays Newt Scamander. He's an awkward Tweety wizard who arrives in New York by water. He's carrying a beat-up old suitcase. And of course, this is a film with a lot of luggage in it, Um, (laughs) there's a lot of creepy things therein. And though it's not just about him chasing after all the creepy things, there's a whole – there's other layers of the story here. We've got a large, colorful cast, including – uh, Tina Goldstein is a terrific Catherine Waterson. Uh, she's a disgraced agent of Macusa, the Magical Congress of the United States of America, which is <laughs> is is like the the Ministry of Magic in the United States. They're big on the portmanteaus and the acronyms. So yeah, the they series. do like those. They do like those. Uh, and then there's Jacob Kowalski, played by Dan Folger, or Folger. Uh, he's a factory worker looking to for a loan to start up his own bakery, and he's a nomad, the American version of the Muggle. And uh, and then there's um, an abusive anti-witch fundamentalist raising a group of orphans, played by Samantha Morton, and including a young man named Credence, played by Ezra Miller. And uh, Colin Farrell is in this. He's Graves, another MACUSA agent who is friendly with credence and on the hunt for a weird dark force that suppresses the magical uh, abilities of children, a powerful, evil force. Um, Yeah, and I think that covers... Oh, and there's the sister, Tina's sister, played by Alison Sudol, an actor who I didn't know before. She's a character named
0: Queenie, and she's pretty great. She feels like she's stepped right out of the 1930s. Yeah, she's primarily a musician, from what I gather, uh, who hasn't done a ton of acting, but she's very charismatic and really steals yeah. every scene that she's in. Yeah, in this totally, film. totally. Um, definitely, definitely in the plus column for this film. Um, and of course, we've got the, we've got the rebel wizard on the Lamb uh, subplot that just burbles underneath yes, uh, ev- right. everything. Yes, that's right. And when we discover the rebel wizard makes an appearance late in the running,
1: uh, it's someone else pretty recognizable. Um, you know, this is, um, this is a film I really like the universe that they create, the 1920s, late 1920s New York. The sets are spectacular. I gather they shot some of it in Liverpool. And uh, it doesn't have, although there is a lot of CGI here, and some of it is better than others, it doesn't have that feeling of this is all shot in a studio somewhere. I actually believed in the sense of location, which is really important, I think, in a film like that. And this grounding it in some sense of reality, given how much is not very real. No, Uh, no, that
0: that – nineteen thirties or twenty, I forget exactly which decade it's, it's supposed just, to be. Yeah, twenties, twenty six, yeah, I think. Yeah, late twenties. Uh, pre depression uh, mm. kind of thing is it's it's the atmosphere is really well realized. Like I mean the the, the art direction and, and everything in, in this film is bonkers. It's yeah. it's so well done. Yeah. Um and uh you know I, I I guess my my problem with the film is that it 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 should be a lot tighter than it is. And mm-hmm. you know, and that as you've observed, that's a problem even in the books, uh, you know they get more and more unwieldy as as uh, the series became more and more successful. And unfortunately, this film kind of starts there, um, you know. Whereas the first Harry Potter story was a really tight little novel yeah, that's and then, true. you know, it gets to the point where the last book has to be rendered in, in two complete feature films when I don't think it actually had to be two <laughs> complete right. feature films. Yeah. Um, you know, some judicious editing would have been in, in order. And I think the same thing could have been said here. I mean, there's a whole subplot involving a newspaper baron played by John Voight. Yeah, I don't know what that,
1: why that's there. I keep feeling that maybe will they'll pay off in later films, but I'm Perhaps. not 100% sure about that.
0: But, but I feel like there's probably like a, a five-hour first cut of this floating around up there, which, where, you know, either he has more to do or his son who's running for, I believe, the Senate or Congress uh, probably has more to do. Right. Um, You know, I I think he's there so they can have an attack at, 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 uh, when he's, making a big speech at a a charity rally. There's two
1: sons. There's the one who I guess uh, has, would like to be a a journalist. That's right. Yes. And then there's the one, yeah, the, the sign, the, the Senator who things happen to the Senator's son. Uh, I won't, I won't say too much more than that to give it away, but, but I'm not sure that he has a future in this series, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but it is, you're right. There are, there are stuff that feels like it, it is, is um, franchise building rather than actual paid off within the film. And that, that is a bugger. Like that's not something that I, I like to see. Uh, and and uh, and there's a they talk about an ex girlfriend of of Newt Scamander's, and she's clearly gonna play a role because they've cats, Zoe Kravitz. We see a photo of her. Yeah, you know exactly. she's gonna, and then she's mentioned repeatedly, and it's like, well, what's the deal here? We never
0: find out. But and, I, and, and she's know. the grandmother of a character that we meet later. You know later slash earlier in the Harry Potter universe. Right. Yes. Um, there, there's a few sort of direct references to characters that. We've already met in Harry Potter. I mean, uh, um, Dumbledore um, we will obviously get somebody playing young Dumbledore at some point in the course of the series. Yeah. Um Given what we know from him and this rebel wizard uh, Grindelwald, I think, uh, no. Yeah, uh, Grindelwald, that's Grindelwald. The name, yeah. I get him mixed up with Gringot, the bank. <laughs> <laughs> the bank in uh, the Harry Potter series. Um, you know, we meet the elderly near the end of his life, uh, Grindelwald in, um, or Grindelwald, whatever, um, <laughs> in the Deathly Hallows when, when, um, uh, he who shall not be named, and whose name I've forgotten off the top of my head, Voldemort. Is, Voldemort is looking for. <laughs> I was going to say Ray Fines, but uh, yes, Voldemort is looking for a, a wand, and he thinks that the elderly Grindelwald, who's in a prison, has it. Anyway, oh, I won't get into. You no, know, I'd
1: totally forgotten
0: that 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 connection. Um, well, I I I only vaguely remembered that. Yeah, I think we meet this guy later in the Potter books, but I couldn't remember exactly the context. Right, I actually right. had to look that up, but I d- I did recognize the name and the character. I just. You know, couldn't remember his exact place in the in the Potter universe. Gotcha. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how this stuff plays out in the later films. I, I think they've said five movies. Yeah, they've maybe, said five. five more films. Yeah. Um, which which seems unnecessary, but. <laughs> Well, you know, know, uh, there's a question of whether any of this is necessary. Well, that's true. Right?
1: I mean, a a prequel of a a successful series. I do think it's interesting that J.K. Rowling herself has – written the screenplay for this. It's loosely based on a, on a sort of a, a guidebook to magical creatures that she came up with back in, I think, 2002. And, and it was just like a thin volume of a list of, of you know, a, like a non- a, and yeah. I'm doing air quotes here, nonfiction book about, uh, about these, uh, these creatures. And, and it's one of the books that Harry Potter carries around with him to reference. Uh, and so she is out of her imagination. She's come up with the whole, Backstory to this book and to its author, uh, and uh, and I I can I can uh, get along with that as an inspiration, but you know there's a lot of ways this could go wrong, and I I feel like for the most part it actually went pretty right.
0: Yeah, I, I you know weighing the pros and cons of this film, it comes out on the pro side. I, I enjoyed it for the most part, but there are long stretches of of plot that don't really go anywhere, and mm-hmm. you know like you say maybe it will lead to something in the later films, but that's not really a great way to make films i mean you know it's franchise building is 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 a dubious uh, <laughs> achievement at best um and yeah, also unless you can watch it all at once like on television
1: um but yeah in this in a feature film world you're right they there there are definite problems when you don't tie up the plot threads or or you leave characters dangling you introduce them and nothing happens
0: yeah and, and and there's a lot of things like the fact that the the sister uh, had never met a nomad before, and I'm, I'm trying to like. Oh, so she never left, leaves the apartment. Like, yeah. how is that possible? Yeah, and that's that's, th- that's that's reasonable. Th- that's an odd thing. And and also, as far as Eddie Redmayne goes, he's quite charming. But I'm I'm reaching a a, a, a level of uh, irritation with Eddie Redmayne because I just I, I've seen him in enough films now that I feel like I've figured out all of his acting tricks. It yeah. seems like there's just a certain bunch of ticks that he employs in the course of making his character seem, again, you know, eccentric, but charming, but, you know, only so many sort of tilted heads and, and not looking at people while he's talking to them and all that kind of sort of, like, there's a, a, it seems like, like I'm keeping a mental list of all the things he does. Yeah. And to make his, to enhance or, you know, enhance, I'm using air quotes, uh, his characters. Fair enough. I I feel the same way about Chris Pratt,
1: actually, but continue. (laughs) No,
0: fair enough. Well, I mean, you know, I I watched, I watched a lot of Parks and Rec, so I sort of I guess I've inured myself to, to Chris Pratt, I guess, even though he's just Chris Pratt in every film, pretty much. Um, I, I, I still think Eddie Redmayne's got a lot of talent and there's probably lots more to be seen, but- He's definitely I, carving a, a niche or a rut. Of, a, you know, eccentric eccentric, nerdy Brits, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, uh, hopefully uh, he steps up to the plate and comes out of that shell that he's created for himself a little bit more in the future films.
1: Probably my favorite movie with magic in it growing up was The Witches of Eastwick, which actually arrived pretty late in my development, but I, I was a big uh, Jack Nicholson fan and, and it's a fun movie. I think most people know, know it. Cher, Michelle Pfeiffer, Susan Sarandon are, are great as well as uh, Veronica Cartwright. They're all a lot of fun and Nicholson gets to be at his maximum hammy. <laughs> yes. uh, and it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good time at the movies and it's comedic and, and pretty light, I would say. Uh, but around the same time, I also saw Alan Parker's Angel Heart where Mickey Rourke plays this gumshoe in, uh, in the 50s, he's hired by Robert De Niro's creepy, creepy client to find a missing crooner, Johnny Favorite. And the search takes him from New York to Louisiana, also stars Charlotte Rampling and quite famously Lisa Bonet. It's one of those movies that has a whole lot of atmosphere. But the story, once you know the twist, it sort of relies a lot on the twist. Yes. And if once you know it, you watch it again, it's just sort of waiting for that <laughs> twist to happen. Louis uh, Cipher. Yeah, yeah, really. Who could that be? Um, But uh, (laughs) I mean, I I love the mood of it. I love the cinematography. And, uh, uh, yeah, and I, I would still recommend the film. It's a genuine creep fest. Like, it, it kind of gets under my skin, even though I know where it's going. Geez, uh, if
0: he's looking for Johnny Favorite, he should just come to Hellfest.
1: There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about connections to Doctor Strange and to Fantastic Beasts. And I think there are direct connections to British horror and British... Fantasy and and British, um, I mean, occult doesn't always mean horror. It doesn't always mean you know that it's got to be the you know. Uh, it certainly doesn't mean gore. But <clears throat> there is there is a, a tradition that, like going back to Mary Poppins and bedknobs and broomsticks in Disney, uh, and then there's Hammer horror. Uh, mm. Which we uh, which we watched a few a few examples of
0: from your library, Stephen. Yeah, it pretty much is the defining period in British horror, much the same way that the Universal Monster uh, series with Frankenstein, Dracula, and Bellegossi and Boris Karloff is kind of like the defining uh, foundation for for classic horror film in the states. Even though there's certainly antecedents, um, but not and, too many witches in those stories. No, no, certainly not. Um, from, you know you can find necessary. yeah. Although if you think about it, if you go back to the first real auteur of film, Georges uh, George Mellis, uh the, the French uh, filmmaker, I mean, Sorcery, wizardry, magic was a huge part of his uh, his films. He was right. always playing magic. I mean, he was a magician. He was a stage mm-hmm. magician, uh, you know, sleight of hand and and all that sort of thing. Who took that idea, applied it to celluloid with with clever uses of editing and then forced perspective and that kind of stuff. And and so in, in a way, like the first real major body of work in film is all kind of magic related in a way. Um, and then he took it into the fantastic realm with his adaptations of Jules Verne and, and science fiction. So we got fantasy, horror, science fiction, all kind of wrapped up in, in the earliest, uh, films where, uh, a director was really associated with, with the work. So it's, it's, it's part of the fundamental foundations of, of film altogether, really. So it's, it's not surprising that it keeps coming back, uh, in, uh, in various forms over the years. But um, but we did watch uh, a couple of Hammer Horror entries, uh, and uh, they're a lot of fun, for sure, uh, with varying degrees of success, Yes, as, yeah, as, the, as you know. The first one, The
1: Witches, from 1966, I discovered there's a Dino De Laurentiis Italian anthology film called The Witches from 67, not to be confused with this the, one. Is
0: that the one with Clint in it?
1: Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, that's right. And then there's the 1990 Nicholas Rogue film called The Witches. Which is great. Yeah. And then there's The Witch from earlier this year, which we'll talk about <laughs> at the end of the show. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of witches out there in cinema. Uh, but this one, the Hammer picture, stars Joan Fontaine in her final film role, as a matter of fact, before she went on for, to basically work in theater and television for the rest of her career. Uh, and here she plays a woman who, who's teacher, a teacher in Africa. She has a terrible experience with witch doctors there and then finds a job later teaching in a small town in the UK. But there's something weird about that place too. It, there may be witchcraft afoot in the British countryside and her sanity is basically at stake. Uh, this was a film where I really enjoyed the setup. I enjoyed the various characters in the town and the feeling, again, the feeling of location I felt was pretty great. But it just, by the end, it just gets ridiculous when, her, <laughs> yes, when, when Fontaine's character named Gwen Mayfield, she discovers that one of her good friends, and it won't take you long to figure out who if you're paying attention, yes, is in no. charge of this coven of devil worshippers and they're all hungry. For immortality, especially this lead lady, um, and they're willing to kill a child in order to get it, and it just gets totally hysterical. And, and then they move into away from like location footage in the town to what's clearly a studio. And it just, it's lit like a, like one of the lesser episodes of Star Trek. It looks just awful. And it's, it just, yeah, it becomes laughable by the end.
0: Yeah. This is, it's, if you're a fan of hammer horror films, you kind of have to take the good with the cheesy Um, (laughs) and, and kind of appreciate them both. And, and uh, some films are just one end of the spectrum or another, this one clearly straddles that line because there's a lot of great stuff in it. I mean, Joan Fontaine, I mean, she worked with, with Hitchcock and, 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 you know, she was one of the few actresses, I think to get an Oscar for working with him. She's in Rebecca, his, his only best picture winner. Um, you know, she her pedigree is, is, uh, is without uh dispute. And, and here she is kind of slumming it in this, in this hammer horror movie. And she does give it her all, but it, uh, like you say, the climax gets a bit weird and silly with everybody writhing and dancing around. And, and, and the whole coven thing is once it's finally revealed, it, it's, um, it's kind of subpar in, in, in a lot of ways, but I still kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. You yeah. know, I just had to, my brain had to go from the quality film, uh, part of circuit to the kind of cheese ball circuit. Right. So I just had to kind of jump the rails a little bit to still enjoy it. Um, You know, I guess maybe that approaching this kind of material uh, from a British standpoint, I mean, it, it should work because of course there's the ancient uh, you know, Celtic uh, heritage that goes predates Christianity and, and and the films that can kind of tap into that, including one we're going to talk about shortly, um, you know, can have a lot of power here. Uh It's, kind of just used for shock value and I don't think a lot of depth went into that aspect of the storyline. I, I think it could have worked if maybe they'd applied a bit more of that kind of ancient heritage aspect to it, but it's really kind of just played up for shock value yes. and, yeah. uh, you know, and it kind of works on that level, but certainly not to the same extent as another Hammer film that came along uh, shortly afterwards, which mines some of the same, uh some of the same, uh, area, but to a much greater degree. And that's, uh, The Devil Rides Out. Yeah. I, now
1: this one, I absolutely loved. I just, the, the tone of it is sustained from the very beginning right until the end. And it's, it's cheesy, but it's so much fun. And the performers are, they keep the straight face throughout. And I yes. think that's why it works so well, because the material is kind of ridiculous. Um, the, the story it's, this is, um, Directed by Terence Fisher, uh, a book by Dennis Wheatley from the 1930s, adapted by Richard Matheson. who's yes. the name I thought, wow, that's cool. He's involved.
0: Yeah, uh, who's who's dealt with witchcraft in a number of different ways in, in a lot of his writing. Right. Um, in other fields, there's one called Burn Witch Burn that he wrote. That's okay. quite, quite good. Uh, so Nick Christopher Lee in a rare
1: uh, good guy role. He plays. Uh, Nicholas Duc de Richelieu, he and his buddy, <laughs> Rex Van Ryn, uh, played by Leon Green, meet at the very beginning, Van Rijn, Rex shows up in a plane, lands on a grassy airstrip. They get into a car that's chauffeured and it's like, oh, okay, so this is what we're dealing with here. These are very wealthy, <laughs> yes. wealthy Brits in the, in the 30s. Um, and a <laughs> really funny moment where they're discussing the fact that they're trying to catch up with an old friend of theirs, a younger man who was the son of a good friend of theirs, I guess maybe from the war, and um, and they haven't – they've sort of fallen out of touch with him. And they're concerned about his safety and what's going on because they haven't seen him in months since Christmas. Uh, and uh, and they're discussing this as they're driving somewhere. And and uh,
0: Lee talks to his chauffeur through a tube in the <laughs> car, which is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Hilarious. That, that, um, that crops up later in the abominable Dr. Fibes uh, movies, I believe. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of that sort of thing happening, which I, which I highly recommend. Um so they, they promised
1: to take care of this guy, Simon, and, uh, and so they go to this fancy country mansion, and Simon's having a party of some sort, a meeting of his astrological society. And <laughs> but it is very awkward. Wants to get basically get rid of his dad's old pals. Uh, and now amongst the astrological society is Charles Gray, who of course most I mean I know from having he had played Blofeld. Yes, in, yes uh, diamonds, diamonds Are Forever. Right. Uh, in James Bond, so you know that he's up to no good. These yes. people are all bad people. Uh, <laughs> and it turns out that they are Satanists, and they are are got this this cult, and of course Nicholas and. Rex must have must save Simon um, and uh, Nicholas is something of a magician himself and he hypnotizes Simon try to deprogram his satanic tendencies uh, and uh, the plotting is outrageous it goes it just goes from one thing to another it's very well like the editing is great you just clip from one thing to another you never it never slows down uh, and uh you know and I think while I'm watching it and enjoying it completely. I'm also realizing there's probably a thesis to be written about the British xenophobic fear of the other yes. and of women. <laughs> I mean, obviously the whole witches in, in popular culture are often a, you know, a male f- fear of women. And that's something of course has been discussed a lot, but it, in particular to these British films, it's like the only black people you see in this movie are amongst the Satanists. So, you know, optics wise, it, it doesn't look too
0: good. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's also that sort of the, 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 fruit of M- Empire building coming home to roost sort yes of thing, yes know. absolutely uh, that that turns up uh, in a lot of these films uh it you know either through these occult mystical um, kind of plagues or or even just through straight up uh, action type films um and uh it's it just really keeps building on itself uh, scene after scene and and that's it it's something to be admired i guess uh and plus there's uh, i think james bernard is the composer and his it's his, he did a lot of the hammer film scores and he just goes completely out to lunch on this one it's i actually have the soundtrack cd at home and uh-huh. it's, it does not disappoint you know it's like so overly dramatic you know a lot of bom bom pa kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. um and it's it's completely turned to 11 and and doesn't care who knows it and <laughs> I just love that about this film. I mean, and the fact that, you know, the, like the witches kind of hedges around the whole Satanism kind of thing. You know, it's more, it's more like into the witchcraft slash ancient, uh, Druid, Druidic cultic kind of thing. Whereas this film just is their full-blown Satanists. Yeah. You know, and they, we, they raised the devil uh, Yeah, they, exactly. at one point and he's this <laughs> where they're in the, they had their big coven meeting in yeah. the woods. And, and, and there's, it's this guy who's kind
1: of in a chalky makeup with a, uh, furry sort of shoulder piece and a, and a goat's head. Uh, And, uh, and you sort of feel for him because if he's standing out there in the cold in the woods, (laughs) like this actor, I I felt bad for this guy. He's just basically standing there looking at these people who have raised him from the netherworld. Uh, Yeah, there's, it's so much fun. I, I enjoyed the hell out of this film. Literally, Uh, Yeah, literally. Uh, And I think, um, I think I would recommend it pretty much to anybody who's just looking for something. It's campy in just the right amount. Um, Christopher Lee is just amazing. Like he delivers some great lines. He's
0: so on point throughout the film, just like man of action and- you know yeah. he's he, he's just there you know he just has that sixth sense that bad things are happening and
1: all of this takes place on a very fairly compressed time period so there's a lot of talk about trying to stay awake because you know and and, and staying this day you must be more alert than you've ever been in your entire life <laughs> this kind of advice you know and i c- couldn't help but thinking that that if they had made a doctor strange movie when the comic first came out in the 60s Christopher Lee would have been terrific. Oh, he would have been perfect, he was <laughs> perfect. In this movie, he's got the little mustache and the goatee. Right, yeah, he
0: could just walk right off the set of this film into that into yeah. that role, no problem. No problem. Um, you, you mentioned the the uh, the manifestation of evil in the woods, and and uh, I I encourage you and anybody else listening to seek out a film called Night of the Demon from um, from the fifties. I think Jacques Tourneur was the director, um, and it's kind of a quasi British American co production where. Um, an American skeptic goes goes to England to look into the possibility of satanic cults and and uh, you know gets gets inundated with uh, some mysterious behavior and and uh, eventually a meeting with a, an, an actual demon in the woods and it's it's actually kind of terrifying and in fact you being a Kate Bush fan uh, you know may know that uh, there's some dialogue from that that she actually sampled in. Uh, the Dreaming, maybe, or I'm trying to remember, this, or maybe it's Hounds of Love." You know, the line, "It's in the trees." It's, it's coming. coming. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the movie that that's taken from. And I remember okay. watching watching the film and kind of freaking out when I heard that that line spoken. Like, right. like finally a, a light went off in my head. Oh, that's where that came from. So, Night of the Demon. It's we're we're not really discussing it in depth because we didn't watch it for this podcast, but it's out there on on DVD and probably in other forms. And it's it's one of the great horror films of the '50s for sure.
1: Um, you also well we what one thing we did watch uh, mm-hmm. uh upon your suggestion I'm really glad we did was the devil's uh, <laughs> Ken yes. russell uh, and uh yeah i um i I was amazed at this film just by its sheer gall uh the things that it it tries to do and and quite uh successfully uh, achieves um. Uh, I, I don't even know where to start in terms of of doing any plot uh, discussion, but uh, I, if you want to take a swing at it, feel free.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's set during the reign of I think Louis the thirteenth or fourteenth, uh, maybe the fourteenth, whichever one was the Sun King. Uh, I'm really good at taking notes, folks, uh, so bear <laughs> with me. But um, and uh, <laughs> Oliver Reed is is the uh, the head of the church in in a uh, provincial French. Um, City-state, I guess, for lack of a better term, and and uh, so what's happening is that the uh, the French crown and also Cardinal Richelieu, uh, there's that name again, um, uh, in Paris are, are and Versailles are trying to consolidate power uh, centrally, and by uh, diminishing the power of these city-states, and um, you know the, the, that that uh, Reed's loyalty was to the the now deceased, uh, I guess, Duke of of. of um, now I've forgotten the name of the. Loudon is the name of the, the the town or city state or what have you in France. Um, so his his loyalty is to the city and to the people that live there, and and uh, maybe not so much to Richelieu, which proves to be his undoing, as the uh, the agents of the king. Um, A want to tear down the walls around the city so that. Uh, they are not uh, able to defend themselves from from federal forces, and uh, in the process uh, generate this kind of mass hysteria to, that uh, is intended to discredit uh, uh, Oliver Reed's uh, priest and then uh, get him up onto a burning pile of sticks.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's pretty good. Nicely done. I think that <laughs> covers it quite well. The You know, his his loyalty to his town and to his way of doing things, but he's also loyalty to his appetites. He's someone who yes. is, is having affairs with women, and he's... Uh, he's He's, he's seeking you sort of think well he's sort of seeking power entire you know total power within his own little city state uh, and uh, and he kind of achieves that until the forces from outside start to impede his progress and uh, and then they they arrange through through the hysteria of this nunnery uh, led by uh, Vanessa, Vanessa Redgrave, Redgrave. yes yes. The uh, abbess. yes and her and her sort of uh, suggestion that he is, he is channeling the devil uh, the oliver reed character and uh, and so he becomes kind of this martyr towards the end in a way that's sort of surprising given what a the way the character is introduced um i i thought the film was wildly entertaining and it's it's outrageous sort of commentary on politics and uh and the religion, and and uh, you can see where Monty Python got oh, a lot of inspiration. Yeah, I think they films. were big
0: fans of this movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you see some of the stuff in the Devils that turns up a couple of years later in in the Holy Grail, um, the whole castle anthrax scene, you know, and now for the spanking, um, you know that that seems the, the the deranged nuns in Holy Grail are right out of the Devils, and, and uh, I think they're you know making a pointed satire of that, but also paying homage. I think I, yeah. I can't see, they're all history buffs. I can't see how they wouldn't have loved the outrageousness of this film. And, and I love the sets as well. The sets of this this town, Ludon,
1: is, are very modernist in a way that, you know, completely, uh, I, don't, I don't, like historically incorrect, but boy, do they look cool.
0: Yeah, well, and, and it should be noted that this is kind of the first major credit for uh, filmmaker Derek Jarman, who uh, went on to become a very uh pioneering and visionary filmmaker um you know a decade later in england um this is kind of his first major credit doing the art direction for the you know those incredible walls with the sort of white tile bricks and the the weird antiseptic look of this town um because of course the plague also enters into it um you know we're in the middle of the plague and quite a bit of time is devoted to that as well as and it's uh it, it gets chalked up as another influence of the devil in this town uh with the the presence of the plague and so it has the, the weird almost like hospital look <laughs> of the of the white tile walls is very uh very much part of that and uh but also the church and you know Oliver Reed has this weird tower thing full of statuary that he lives in <laughs> and it's 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 a feast for the eyes and 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 the appetites you know it's it's again like cranked up well past the the point of no return, in terms of uh, so called good taste and so on, and 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 that's something that uh, Ken Russell really excelled at, um, you know. And this this is probably his finest moment. This film, which of course was later savaged by by um, censors, and also the the studio that made it uh, refuses to allow it to be released in North America, and only begrudgingly let the the British Film Institute put out a DVD of it uh, that uh, in England and coded only for England playback. So if you buy the disc, you have to get a machine that can, anyway. The, somebody, Warner Brothers clearly has, has it in for this film uh, for its uh, blasphemous suggestions. Um, even though it's, you know, ultimately the man of faith comes out as the hero in this film. But but the things that it says about the church and, and about... Uh, the hypocrisy. Hypocrisy and pulp... You know the ability ability to whip people into a frenzy with the, the slightest of evidence is uh, you know all very much uh, a hot topic in the early '70s and and just as a hot much of a hot topic today. I mean, you can watch this film. You can put any number of allegories on this movie. Um, you know, the, the with either in in like the, you know Watergate era Nixon White House or or Donald Trump's America. It, it stands up uh, really well, and it can be applied to many situations. Um, now you
1: also uh, are a fan. I know of the Wicker Man. It yes. feels it feels like any discussion of British horror uh, related to the occult uh, would be amiss if we didn't at least do a nod to it from 1973, Robin Hardy's film uh, with a screenplay by Anthony Schaefer. Uh, what do you what do you want to say about the Wicker Man? Yet? I, I mean, I, it's been a while since I've seen it. I remember it being supremely creepy. It, ma- it, is, it is truly a, a great film.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've seen it a number of times over the years. Uh, I first came upon it because CBC would air it in the wee hours of the morning <laughs> for whatever reason. And would, would show the uncut version of, uh, with the uh, the new dance by... Uh, Britt Eklund stunt double, <laughs> and uh, and you know, I, I just kind of stumbled upon it as an impressionable youth, and had no idea what to make of this film. I think I'm, I probably watched it because of Christopher Lee's involvement. Um, he plays Lord Summerisle on a remote Scottish uh, island, and uh, they uh, their crops are failing, and and. Uh, you know, they need to appeal the, the Celtic gods. And um, we have uh, Edward Woodward as a policeman, a very a very religious uh, policeman from the mainland. I believe he's a, a Catholic uh, Scotsman who comes over uh, to investigate the disappearance of a young girl who he begins to think might be being held in use for a uh, sacrifice of some sort to the uh, gods of plenty. Um, and, uh you know gets kind of led literally down a rabbit hole i guess in in one sense or another um when he finds out that um that uh, the majority of the people on this island are practicing uh, pagans and not uh, christians and he has a crisis of faith as well as uh as well as his uh, lawful duties and of course uh the you know i i don't want to say too much about it because i don't want to give it away but uh you know his just being up against it on this remote island away from the powers of of government and all that uh, really put him in a, in a tough, dangerous spot. And, um, you know, you, you sort of feel for him in a way, but by the, by the same token, you know, he's kind of a prisoner of his own beliefs and, uh, you know, by the the strictness in which he holds himself. And, and so you have to kind of confront whatever it is you believe in uh, over the course of this film. And it's a very effective film. And in some ways, maybe the first modern British horror film as it comes in the, in the late sixties, early seventies and, and, and very effective to this day. Yeah. Um, I think
1: that and maybe clockwork orange uh, are, are like the, the, the giants, um, for sure. Uh, now i I've seen I've seen The Wicker Man some years ago, and I the opportunity to watch the remake. I don't know if I ever seriously wanted to, but knowing that we'd be talking about it, <laughs> I thought, well, maybe I'll take a look at it. Uh, the Wicker Man was remade in two thousand six by written directed by Neil Labute, and that's part of the reason I was interested. This is a, a filmmaker who made In the Company of Men, Your Friends and Neighbors, Possession. He's a director of uh, of taste and and sensitivity in, in terms of telling stories of men. Uh, behaving badly, uh, right. uncomfortable dramas, and romances. And I wondered what would tempt him tempt him towards this kind of material. And I guess I can see it in the script. Uh, you know, he, he takes the basic story of The Wicker Man. He transposes it to the United States. So, so Summer Isle is off of Puget Sound in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, our hero, played by Nicolas Cage, is the cop who goes out there when uh, – an ex-girlfriend of his sends him a letter saying that her daughter is missing, and uh, and and most of the people on the island are women, and they are the ones who are sort of in charge. You've got Lily Sobieski, Frances Conroy, Ellen Burstyn, uh, Molly Parker. I mean, these are all great actors in doing great. You know, generally who do great work. Uh, but uh, the movie it just feels totally. Every scene is is borderline laughable, and and Cage to his credit. Takes the opportunity to make fun of some of what's going on. Like he actually, if there's humor there, it's in his in his very natural reaction to some really strange stuff. <laughs> uh, and I like that about the film. But uh, but the whole thing seems mishandled. Uh, And I'm wondering, maybe there is a commentary going on here uh, about, uh, you know, the fear of of feminine power that comes up again and again, either indirectly or directly in in these kinds of movies. But uh, – and Labute has definitely dealt with that kind of – Content in his films, but uh, boy, I can't recommend this. It's 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 kind of a it's a it's a curiosity for fans of Butte, but otherwise, it's one of those uh, inadvertently hilarious, campy movies.
0: Yeah, I think they may have started out with good intentions to to kind of take the themes of the original Wicker Man and rework them, but uh, who boy, did it ever (laughs) go off on the path to hell? Yeah, yeah.
1: Hi, I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson, and I am host of The Food Podcast. Now, this is not a cooking podcast. We'll talk about the history of food, we'll meet the players in the food world, and we'll explore the ingredients that fill our lives with flavor. Check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love to hang out with you. So talking about the occult and witchcraft uh, and magicians uh, uh, prompted me to revisit The Craft from 1996, directed by Andrew Fleming. And, uh, you know, it's a film I hadn't seen in ages. Uh, The 90s were, you know, a bit of a rough period for teen movies, and this is basically a teen movie. Uh, The genre kind of went fallow post-Heathers and the John Hughes era, but it came back in the late 90s. And this is sort of right in the middle of that fallow period And with this teen supernatural movie. Basically, it's about three, four girls in a high school in Los Angeles. Uh, Robin Tunney plays Sarah, who arrives, the new the new one who arrives. She's awkward and alienated, but these girls, three others take an interest. Nev Campbell's Bonnie, uh, Rachel True's Rochelle, and the amazing Feruza Balk as Nancy. And uh, they're all sort of uh, misfits uh, who happen to have an interest in black magic. And uh, so Sarah gets involved uh, and... They all have opportunities to torture the people around them for whatever reason, and of course, once they have the power, the four of them together have power to do this, including uh, making Skeet Ulrich, uh, uh, you know, turning him into a, a lapdog. <laughs> I forgot um, he was
0: in this. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's uh, he's easy to forget. He's 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 never been an actor that had a lot of a lot of oomph. Yeah, kind um, of a depth light. Yes, yes. I would say that probably is true. I, I mean, he's done some interesting work occasionally, but for the most part, it, it was yeah his his career as a leading man anyway wasn't very very uh sterling um this is a movie where i was i really enjoyed about the first two-thirds of it where these young women start to explore the power that they could have Mm. and they they exercise it and it's really satisfying to see them either take light or serious revenge over the forces around or raid around them um but naturally at the end nancy the um uh, the froza ball character her hunger for power spoils the fun and then it's you know then they turn against each other and it's just like really did we really have to go there like there were many other ways they could have gone with this in mm. terms of them learning that absolute power corrupts absolutely uh, then turning against one another and i found that was a little disappointing i found the ending a little disappointing but for the most part i enjoyed it and i forgot how much in 90s movies The soundtrack is just one (laughs) after the other, after the other, these like songs of the day. There's a little Matthew Sweet, some Portishead, head, uh, you know, a a cover of the Smith's How Soon is Now, uh, you know, and it's like, wow, there's a lot of music in this. Um, I also watched a film called The Ninth Gate, also from the 90s. This is Roman Polanski. With Johnny Depp, who you mentioned uh, as a character named Dean Corso. He's a book detective, sort of a, a mercenary, who believes in the percentage and the acquisition of money. And he has been asked by a client, played by the terrific Frank Langella, uh, to authentic- authenticate something called The Nine Gates of the Kingdom of Shadows, a book that's supposed to summon the devil. And there are <laughs> two other known copies in the world. He's got one of them and he travels from New York to europe to track them down and the and, and the, there's a question of whether they are forgeries any of them are forgeries if if one's the right one and where is the power or is it the power lie within all three of them um i really like this movie a lot yeah, more too. than the, the credits i mean the, it has very poor rating on rotten tomatoes but this is a movie i really enjoyed partly because it's kind of a noir detective story it's not so much a a witchcraft story as it is the story of this guy who's very amoral looking for this, this, um, this MacGuffin And, uh, and it's, uh, and there's a femme fatale played by Lena Olin and she's great in it. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it only really goes out of, off the edge in the last 20 minutes. It really sort of falls apart (laughs) at the end. And, uh, but I, I really liked it. I think Polanski has, of course, you know, he is a master director. Uh, I wouldn't call this in any way. It's no spot on Rosemary's baby, which is his, you know, grand work of, of witchcraft and, uh, and creepiness, but, um. It's actually uh, quite a bit of fun, and I would recommend The Ninth Gate for someone who hasn't seen it.
0: I, I went into this having read some of the – at the time it came out and reading some of the reviews, and it was – you know, kind of seemed like it was a full-blown turkey, and I ended up quite enjoying it. But there's there's a subtle, sly humor uh, happening in this movie that maybe some of the American critics didn't pick up on, not to – dump on american critics but sometimes um but but there seem to be you know that sometimes the european sensibility of polanski's doesn't always ring or register with with some viewers and uh there are a lot of weird nods to past polanski films like just characters and things that echo back to rosemary's baby and and even even like his some of his weird little student short films and stuff it seems like he was kind of accumulating all these bizarre nods to his past. Actually, it's sort of the same way Kubrick did in Eyes Wide Shut.
1: Yeah, Uh, there's definitely a feeling, a a similar feeling to Eyes Wide Shut. uh,
0: Yeah, there's that weird alienated kind of feeling happening. And, of course, there's a certain suspension of disbelief that is required to kind of get you through to the ending, which is uh, a bit ambiguous. And some people, uh, you know, ambiguity is not a a big not heavily in favor, no, you know, and, 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 certainly was definitely not at the time that this film came out. Um, and I, I suggest, you know, if you, if you go into it with a, you know, provided you, you don't have a complete distaste for Polanski films, of course, that you, you, approach this with, uh, with, um, a grain of salt and, and maybe an eye for some of the subtle digs at, at society and, and puritanical, uh, pur- puritanism that, yes. uh, that Polanski's, uh, kind of going after here.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think, um, and and those who have a have a taste these days, Johnny Depp's star isn't shining quite the way it once did. Uh, he's, no. If you, if, in fact, if you don't like him, you might enjoy it even more because
0: he plays quite a cad. <laughs> yes. Um, now, before we wrap well, up, one of the closest things to a normal person that yes. he's played in <laughs> yes. recent memory. So yeah, there's, there's that too. There, there
1: is that. Not quite so much makeup, um, though. Though a very uh, a pair of glasses that says very yeah. a very '90s pair of glasses. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're we're running out of time here, but I just wanted to mention uh, a couple of films that are much more recent that uh, people might want to look out for. One is called The Invitation from uh, director Karen Kusama. And uh, this is being marketed as a psychological thriller, but it's uh, it's a little bit more than that. It's basically the story of old friends who gather in one of those 1970s palaces in the Hollywood Hills. The host, Eden, played by Tammy Blanchard, and her ex-husband, Will, Logan Marshall Green, they split a while back, but they're okay now, both partnered with new people, and it's a chance for them to hang out in a social space situation with a bunch of mutual friends and a few maybe new friends and it's very awkward from the outset Uh, will is very suspicious of everything and the dramatic structure gives him and us plenty of reason for paranoia what is going on with these people and what is their ulterior motive and there's a suggestion that there may be a cult happening here now the film really takes its time getting where it's going. It's very suspenseful, but I know some people who saw it who thought who were horror fans were like, oh, it took too long getting where it's going. Because it's basically there's two options here. It's either a cautionary tale about the cost of paranoia, or it's about bad people actually having something sinister and cult-like cooked up. Now, the fact that uh, it's, I'm mentioning amongst this group of films today on this podcast probably is tipping the hat as to which way it goes. But I, I quite enjoy The Invitation, and I would recommend I could rec- recommend uh, people check it out. Um, and the final film is The Witch from this year, written and directed by Robert Eggers, a first film from Eggers, who is a production designer, turned filmmaker and who has been paying a lot of attention to Kubrick and Polanski with this first feature. <laughs> and it's a it's a really fun movie. It's a Puritan historical drama about a family out in the woods that's kind of falling apart. But it's also a story about uh, about witches and about – st- and, and there are elements of straight-out supernatural horror here.
0: Yeah, I love this film. I really did. And, and, you know, because it has Echoes of the Wicker Man, I think it was a huge influence on this movie um, – but of course, uh, you know we never really see full-on supernatural powers at work in The Wicker Man, and here we do see weird things happening. And you know, it's I think it's up to the viewer to decide if it's just the madness of being isolated out in the woods, away from human society, or not. That's that's having its effect on this family um, in pre-revolutionary America. But uh, it's it's chilling nonetheless. Uh, just the the strange things that are happening, and uh, the film does overplay its hand a little bit. I think um, towards the end of the film. It's funny how but, we uh, we hear this a lot today. It's like a yeah. lot of these movies
1: are start really well and then kind of go off the rails by the end.
0: Yeah, but in this case it's at the very very end and and I don't think that that's necessarily uh it it, it didn't uh tip the scales for me and and and, and in, in, in in hindsight it doesn't really bother me that much. I, I guess it was just maybe they wanted somebody at the studio decided well it needs to be some sort of payoff for people who want to see a movie with the witch in the title but but it's just it's just the the oppression of of the wilderness and and uh and isolation and and this insane puritanism on this family uh just all works in collusion to kind of sp- split them up and and do horrible things and just but but the 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 look of the film the design of of, of the 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 homestead and and the 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 way the language is used in the script uh, all all really work effectively to to making you feel like you're in this environment over the course of the film. And it really did have a, a powerful effect on me anyway. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think it's a strong film. It's got a lot to
1: recommend it. Uh, Don't trust the goat, I think, yes. is the takeaway. Here. Goats are bad. Goats are bad. Don't trust the goats. Uh, and I think there's also a little bit of, uh, I think the film has a thing or two to say about gender politics in America, yes. if you want to read it that way.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed our look at Wicked and Witchy Films here on this week's Lends Me Your Ears. Uh, if you want to know more about the podcast or get in touch with us, you can do thro- do so through our Facebook page. Uh, and you can get us on Twitter at Lends Me Your Ears and also uh, via email at Podcast" at gmail.com. Also, my personal Twitter account is at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. And I've got a new Twitter handle that's just devoted to
1: my blog. My blog is Flaw in the Iris, and it's at halifaxbloggers.ca. And the Twitter is at Flaw in the Iris.
0: And of course, you can find me and my stuff on localexpress.ca. That's X P R E S S for express. There's no E in it at the start. And uh, if you enjoyed the podcast and want to help support us, we also have a Patreon in. Uh, find and then throw a few coins our way. Uh, Once again, thanks to the folks at CKDU FM for the loan of their facilities for producing this podcast and also the folks at the Village Soundcast Network who put on the finishing touches and get it up on iTunes and Stitcher and everywhere else online that you listen to this podcast. Thanks and we'll see you next time. Lends Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the
1: Village Soundcast Network. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Check out all of their amazing music, tour dates, and so much more at gypsophilia.org. Send feedback to Your Ears podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.